just want to say this. I'm going to say this and I'm going to pray. And then we're going to jump into, jump into the life of Bach. Um, this week, man, I'm so thankful for, for you, my fellowship, my, my people. And I'll say my people, like you're mine. I mean, you're my family. And, uh, and it's cool to be able to go do. This week I'll be in Texas training 50 plus planters and their teams. Uh, with some fellow brothers who do what we do. And uh, it's awesome to see that we are, uh, I told you this, I'll tell you this, I try, probably don't tell you enough, that you affect the globe. So these 50-plus teams, and there's still some teams adding, so we could top 60 teams this week out in Texas that we'll be training. That's 60 people groups engaged with the gospel, fresh, new. And so that's your work, Three Rivers, and so that's pretty awesome. I, I tell you that, say, hey, pray. I pray for them, pray that we will be faithful in teaching and training these guys on, on church planting and adopting uh, people groups and doing kingdom work there. But as a reminder, um, sometimes I'm not here because I'm in another country or I'm teaching somewhere, taking Three Rivers Influence somewhere else. God has graced his fellowship with nine pastors. There, I don't know that there's a church in town that can tell you you have nine pastors. You have nine Nine men, Emmett, Josh, Jonathan, Eric, Jeff, Jim, Brad, Joseph. This morning, Eric is getting on a plane to go continue to work in another place with people from our fellowship or in our people group. They're in another country working with Muslims and doing some training with them. And, and so, Three Rivers, you are well shepherded. If you need a shepherd, there are nine to choose from. How awesome is that? How good of the Lord to do that and continue to spread the influence of this little fellowship all over the world. And so just a reminder, give thanks to the Lord for that today. Isn't that cool? That's fun. Let me pray and let's get after Bach. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for uh, your work in history. To pull off Genesis 1, 26 to 28. The subduing of every domain of society. Every domain, including music. And Father, I thank you for gifting men and women with such an ability. So this morning as we highlight one, I pray you would do a work among the many. That the subduing of the domain of music would be to your glory and to our joy. And so Lord, would you accomplish that this morning. Uh, Holy Spirit, teach and instruct in, in things deeper than just the, the little tiny amount of information I'm, I'm going to spew out this morning. So we, we, we ask you to do that. We bow the knee to you. We submit to you. I ask you to be teacher this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, if you're following along their notes, everything I'm going to say to you is on the, the interwebs. And so feel free to follow along. Uh, primary resources, one I didn't cite because I didn't cite him in the work because... <laughs> because he's smarter than me. I read him. Albert Schweitzer, uh, Yaroslav Pelikan, and Rick Marshall. And so as a result of kind of book reviewing in a degree, like he's totally getting academic on you, rather than footnoting, I parenthetically cited by putting, anyway, that's more than you need to know. So they're at the top. So if you want to go read the books, there they are. And page numbers are supplied for you if you want to go check that stuff. Check this stuff out. Huge thank you to Cindy Ivory for sharing, for schooling me in music theory uh, and music from a correct lens of a Christian worldview. I don't know if you heard this morning, but Cindy was playing for you a section from the Passion of St. Matthew during the Lord's Supper. How cool was that? Uh, and so I learned a lot this week, music theory. Thank you to Bronson Long for supplying me with Yoroslav Pelican, the hardest book I've ever read, slash skimmed. 
that increased the insight into Bach's theology and his background historically. Thank you to my wife for suggesting I do Bach. She's usually the one that says, "Won't you do this person this year? Won't you read about this person?" And she gave she she read and said, "You need to do Bach." And I said, "Okay, I agree with you." So. And and uh, it's awesome. She actually gets to be in here. Normally on All Saints Day, she's working in the back. And so she's never sat in on an All Saints Day talk. So in 13 years, so it's cool that my wife gets to sit in here today. And so thanks, babe, for, for that work. Um, truthfully, I feel like this morning that I know less about Bach than when I started. Uh, I didn't even know what I didn't know. So I didn't know where to begin. Now I know what I don't know, and it's a lot. And that's a little overwhelming. Uh, I truly uh, feel lost in the world of Bach. Um, So I want to try to make some sense out of his contribution, particularly to the living out of following Jesus and capturing his domain about as well as anybody possibly can. Why All Saints Day? Why do we do this every year? Why do we celebrate, look at the life of people who've gone on before us? A, number one, we need to avoid chronological snobbery, what C.S. Lewis called chronological snobbery. The idea that, that because it's new, it's better, that's hogwash. Very little new is better than what is old. And so there's lot, there's lots to be learned from generations that have gone before us. We're not the first to live the faith out. Uh, we know very little, just to be frank. And particularly in the lap of luxury in which we live, it's good to look back and learn. Number two, God works in history. And so we need to understand God's working in history. So the mission this morning isn't to highlight Bach, it's to highlight the God who made Bach. And in so doing, we see how God works in human history in people that He created to subdue domains. And so I want you to see Jesus this morning. That's chief. I want you to see Christ. Number two, I want you to see how Jesus worked in a human being. And three, I want you to see how Jesus worked in a human being to subdue a domain. That makes sense? So that's why we do this. Because you're human beings who worship Jesus, and you should be engaging the domain of society, right? And so you need the encouragement knowing Jesus worked in people in history and their domains to subdue them for the glory of Christ and His kingdom and, and the person's joy in subduing the domain. I'm not going to go back and preach our, our DNA right now, but you guys understand that. Engaging the domain you were created to engage is not drudgery, it's joy. And, and I think Bach epitomizes that really, really well. As a starting point, a launching place, I, I, want to, I want to make sure we get this under the banner of Jesus by looking at the scriptures regarding music. We want to see that. We want to see the Father at work in it. And we want to see our purpose in it. And we want to look at it as a banner over Johann Sebastian Bach. Zephaniah 3.17. So you got your Bible. We're going to look at several passages along the way. But Zephaniah 3.17. One of my favorite passages in the whole of Scripture. Uh, if you're not familiar with the book of Zephaniah. not sure your Bible has that. You look at the table of contents. Look toward the very back of your Old Testament. If you get to Malachi. You've obviously gone too far. Just start turning back. And you'll get to the book of Zephaniah very quickly. Three short chapters. Here's Zephaniah 3, 17. The Lord your God is in your midst. And he's speaking to the people. The Lord's people. And so I think we can confidently say this about us today as the Lord's people gathered in this room. The Lord your God is in your midst. A mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you. 
with gladness. He will quiet you by His love. He will exult over you with loud singing. What a great passage. What a great passage. Three quick observations. Number one, the Father is a musician and a singer. So we understand as a Christian, music is not something man creates. Music is something that is a creation of God alone. Music is realized. You understand that? God is the creator of sound. And sound put together in order makes music. And God is a musician and singer. So music happens because that's what God does. And He has put that into image bearers. So Father is a musician and singer. Isn't that kind of neat? This morning that the Father is singing over you? Does that kind of shift how you view the atmosphere in the room a little bit? You know, through the lens of a human-centered perspective, we have a tendency to think this is about us and what I carry away from it and, and me and mine and, and, and whatever and what I consume today. If I don't like it, I'll go somewhere else and get it. In the kingdom of God, we understand that the Father is a singer. And in this room, the Father is singing in delight over those He has purchased by the blood of Christ. He's a musician. He's a singer. Another observation from Zephaniah 3.17 is image bearers, which we are. We're musicians and singers to some degree. Even the worst among us that, that, that can't carry tunes well or, and, and aren't talented necessarily. And Miss Ivory will, will, will probably object with that a degree. We learned some of that early and, and I didn't learn a lot of that. But all of us are to degree musicians and singers because there's really none of us who probably don't have some music on an iPod or if you're just like archaic and you're still on eight tracks you're listening and you're singing along in your vehicle or somewhere so there's a musician and singer in us to some degree because we're image bearers and as image bearers of God who's musician and singer we image that forth in our delight in music third music and singing must be a crucial part of the worship of Jesus this is why we do music. You know, why do we sing in church? Because God sings. That, I mean, very simple answer. God sings. Because God sings. We, Ephesians 5, 1, be imitators of God. We sing. I had the privilege of having Dr. Bruce Leafblad at Southwestern Seminary uh, before he retired. And I don't know if Dr. Leafblad has passed on now or not. Um, but some of us in this room had Leafblad. There's a few here um, who went to Southwestern. And Leafblad was a theologian extraordinaire. He was a musician, too. He had two PhDs, one in theology, one in music. And, and, but he taught music classes. And so theology students sort of took Leaf Black because they had to. And they got in his class and realized he could translate Greek and Hebrew better than them. And then he shamed them because they thought they were going to music class. Didn't know they were going to theology class. And what we learn from Leaf Black really comes home in studying Bach. And this is a crucial part of the worship of Jesus because as image bearers, we image forth the God who sings. And so this is why Christians sing. I play, I've played for a few of you guys. I can't figure out how to get it off my computer and into a format to email. But I've, I audio recorded, and I told you this last week, our people playing music and composing their own music and their lyrics to Christian worship songs now for the first time in their history. When in their religious background, they don't sing but when the heart gets transformed and redeemed, it starts singing. Why? Because the image of God, renewed, refreshed, made right through the gospel, can't help but sing because it's made in the image of God who sings. 
So music's not irrelevant in the life of the church. It's, it's, it's a centerpiece, okay? Listen to, uh, listen to Genesis 1, 26 to 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. The creation mandate is to subdue the earth. That's what you were made to do. Adam had a job before the fall. Work is not a result of the fall. Work is pre-fall because God is a creator and worker. And as a creator and worker, we're made in His image and we're made to create with what He made. We don't make from nothing things. We make from things other things because we're created in the image of God who makes. So working is part of redeemed humanity. Music and mastering music, second little observation here, is part of subduing created order. Try it. If you don't think it's work. I have a guitar in my office. The strings are broken with good reason. But I like, I have this social fantasy that I could actually play a bass guitar like with Metallica or something. And like just just get get it on, man. And like play good. And, and, and it, it never can translate into action. It's work. It takes effort. It takes learning. Mastering music is part of subduing created order. Created order is fallen. That's why music is hard. And so from actual composition to execution to even personalities who do it, there's a subduing nature to doing music. That's why the band has to come in and work on Sunday mornings. It's not like they just get in here and plug in and boom, 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 boom. There's kind of getting, your, kind of getting in the flow, man. And so subduing... Music is part of mankind's job on this earth. Third and final observation here before we get to our overarching purpose and then get into some details about box life. Christians have to work to subdue music as an art form. Not necessarily as purely worship music as a genre. That's huge. All music is fathers and it can be used for good or for bad. So hear me. If you're a musician, that doesn't mean you need to compose worship songs. Compose good stuff. Honoring stuff. Stuff that's just technically good, right? If you're a woodworker, right? We we marvel at wardrobes that master craftsmen make out of wood, right? Some of these guys in our church who turn bowls, right? Mr. Larry... Right? And Mr. Phil, these guys take a blank piece of wood and they put it on a lathe and they turn out this gorgeous thing. That takes work. Right? There's an art form to it. And that's not, quote, Christian. It's just, it's image bearing. Does that make sense? And so, therefore, Christian artists compose beautiful things. And in composing beautiful things, you magnify the God who made. Does that make sense? It's like Martin Luther said in the Reformation. Christian cobblers don't make shoes with crosses on them. They make the best shoes. It's not a cross on the shoe that makes the shoe godly. It's because it's the best. 
It's absolutely the best. So don't write necessarily worship songs, which is fine. By all means, do so. But write the best music. Why? Because you create an image of God. Right? And so this is part of subduing created order. And Bach worked his rear end off to do this. And you'll see that in just a moment. Here's our overarching purpose. For the glory of God, due to being made in His image, we are to subdue and have dominion over everything on this earth. That's our overarching purpose, right? KDSC, Kingdom Disciples Society of Church, the gospel of kingdom, make disciples in domains of society. And from those domains of society, the church should multiply and grow out of that because you're making disciples through subduing domains, right? Creation mandate. So for the glory of God, due to being made in His image, we're to subdue and have dominion over every living thing on the earth. All Listen, this is, this is some stuff I learned from Bach. All of creation operates on mathematical principles. I don't like math. This is just a reality. Even biologically living things. This is why you have to do math and chemistry. I remember in high school taking chemistry, going, oh, good, nothing with math in it. Crap, there's math in it. Right? All living things have to deal with physics. I thought, oh, physics, great. We're going to smash things. We're doing equations. Darn. This is why you do math and physics. Follow the logic applied here. Ready? Some have argued, and I would agree, math is the language of God. Music is constructed on mathematical principle. This is this is my conclusion. I didn't pull this. I even footnoted myself because it's fun to footnote yourself every now and then. It's good. Therefore, music is the singing of God. I believe that. Math is the language of God. It's what He spoke. It's it's how He upholds. You know how gravity works. That's math, right? Today, when you drive over, if you have to drive over one of our three rivers over a bridge today, I promise you, you're leaning hard on math. You're leaning really hard. that Somebody worked really well in that equation to get the math right so that you don't plummet into the Etowah, Ustanala, or Kusa rivers, right? Music is constructed on that baseline foundation of math. And if God's language is math... God sings, the music is the very singing of God. I hope one of the things you'll walk away with today is when you hear music, particularly in this atmosphere in here, hear it differently. It's not just to fill space so that we can transition to a new thing. It's worship. And it is the voice of God singing over His people. Hear it differently. God is creator among a host of truths. And as image bearers, we most exhibit that image when we're taking creation and subduing it to create things, including music, to the glory of the chief creator, Jesus Christ. Listen at Bach here. This is a quote from Bach. Besides other forms of worship, music has been ordered by God's Spirit. This is why music skillfully done, either in composing it or playing it skillfully, whether by a Christian or non-Christian, stirs the soul. You wonder why music, like how many of you, of you in here 
80s, 90s graduate high school? Anybody? Anybody play football? Well, three of us. Okay. Did did anybody's kickoff music, was it Welcome to the Jungle? <laughs> this is why when you hear Welcome to the Jungle, adrenaline starts flowing and you're ready to take a man's head off. It's because music, skillfully, whether you like Guns and Roses or not, it's not the point. This is not taste. This is function of music. It creates emotive stirs. Why? Because music skillfully done stirs the soul. Why? Because it's, it's, it's the language of God spoken over humanity. This is why it can be good or bad. Music isn't innately good or bad. Its use can be good or bad. This is why Christian and non-Christian artists alike create a stir in the soul when they play music. All right? So music is the singing of God. And so therefore, as Christians, we need to portray the Father properly by composing and doing really good stuff. Whether it's a worship song or just good stinking music. Have I heard Greg Robbins? He's one of us. This cat needs to be on somebody's label. He's Harry Connick Jr. good. Right? And he's not singing Jesus loves the little children. He's just singing some incredible stuff to the glory of Jesus. And that's that boy's mission. Is to subdue the domain of music for the glory of Jesus. And he's not singing worship songs. Right? And it's good and it stirs the, whole, the soul. Johann Sebastian Bach understood this. He got this. And from the math all the way up to the performance, sought the glory of God in and through music. We'll hit that in just a minute. Here's a chronology of his life, very quickly. Chronology of his life. Johann Sebastian Bach, born in 1685, March 21st, in the German region of Thuringia. Now, Bronson, if I butcher these names, please correct me afterward and feel free to shout it out. I think he speaks 27 languages. And so, Bronson is good at, at helping me get some of this. And I didn't ask him beforehand how to pronounce, so... I'm probably going to butcher some of this. 1685, March 21st, German region of Thuringia. 1695, he moves to uh, Ordurf, 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 I'm not sure, to live with his elder brother, Johann Christoph, because both of his parents died. And so, already at the age of 10, he was left alone without parents, so he goes to live with his older brother. In 1695 and 1700, Bach moves to Lunenburg and attends St. Michael's School. And his craft begins to develop and he begins to grow. It's very clear, by the way, we'll learn throughout Bach's family heritage was music. As a matter of fact, I'll, I'll state this a little bit later on. Uh, town musicians, it's they, post-Reformation, music was so vital, so important, because in, in the Catholic Church, the, the regular people didn't sing. The, the, the priests may sing, they may sing one of the creeds, and people didn't sing. There isn't congregational singing. And so with the Reformation bringing liberation to the people, there was the regaining of singing, so towns actually employed town musicians whose job was to play music. So they had iPods. It just wasn't electrical. It was a real musician on the street playing real music, people's windows open, listening to music all day. And Bach's family heritage is so thick with music that often, for a season, town musicians all over this part of Europe were called Bach's. And so, whether 
through habit or genetically passed on, Bach was already beginning to, to develop his craft. 703, 1703, after a brief work in, in Weimar, 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 Bach is appointed organist at a new church in Arnstadt. He was 18 years old at this point. They, they actually hired professional musicians, and he was appointed as organist at the age of 18 years old. He viewed the organ as the king of all instruments. You think about it, it wasn't plugged into a wall. They had to pump air into that sucker with their feet, and this thing's had like knobs all over the place. It looked like the lunar lander, right, from Apollo 13. And so they're, they're like pulling knobs and keyboarding and pumping air, and like totally 18 years old. He's mastering this king of instruments and using it in the church. 1707, Bach is appointed as organist at St. Blasius Church in Mulhausen. Uh, these are full-time positions. What's interesting is Cat got paid very little money, but money wasn't the most important thing. He got some housing, some wood, and some fish. And so he got paid to do that with wood, housing, fish, and a little bit of cash. If <laughs> somebody paid me in fish, I'm upset. There's only certain fish I actually like. And he got paid in fish. Poor Bach. 1708, Bach is appointed as court organist and chief chamber musicians under the Ducal Court at Sachsen Weimar. So there's a period in his life where he's just producing music for, for the rulers, for, for, for people in authority, because music is vital. So he's writing and composing music. Not necessarily worship pieces. In 1717, Bach is appointed as Koppelmeister. That's the person in charge of making music at Kothen. Kothen. Um, so he got the job. Your, your job in this town is music maker. Be a Bach. In 1723, this is, this is his last appointment. He's appointed as cantor at St. Thomas Church in Leipzig. And he would spend the rest of his career here from 1723 all the way to 1750. He's the director of music at Thomas Schull and three other churches. Four churches, director of music. And then he also holds other positions as music teacher in other schools as well as mentoring and training other musicians. 27 years he would spend in that position. In 1736, for a period of time, he's appointed as honorary court composer and the lector of Saxony, and he's issuing him challenge. Like, this is where, like, I'm over my head. And he would issue challenges to Bach to go and compose this with these elements, which at certain points in time hadn't been done, and so he needs a couple of weeks, and he goes away and he comes back with a piece of music, and he plays for him, and he met the challenge. I'm like, I have no clue what Schweitzer just said there, but that's pretty cool. So he's issuing him challenges because they knew his skill. And so he would go and compose music to meet these compositional challenges and blow people's minds. Obviously very talented. In 1747, he accepts an invitation to perform and improvise music in the court of Frederick the Great in Potsdam. And in 1750, July 28th, Bach died. 65 years old. Let's look at some cool facts about his life. First... Bach was thought by some as irritable and demanding and rather moody. Surprise, surprise. There's this stereotype of arts, right? Arts folks who, are, who have arts, skills in arts, that they're moody and irritable and so on, so on. Bach was that way. So, I mean, I, always when I try to give you the lives of these people, I try not to paint them as super Christians. 
he had his flaws, had his flaws. He was super critical. Uh, later on, I have a footnote here, not a footnote, but a, a citation. He was particularly critical of one student, and the student just didn't handle it well. So he came after Bach with a club, met him in the street with a club. He's going to take his head off, and this is cool. Bach pulled a knife and went to war with this cat. Why? All because he criticized. He was just moody and irritable, and you stink as a musician. Get out of my sight. And the guy's like, Son. Oh, boom, he's going after him and Bach's like, come on, man. And so he's getting it on in the streets with a with a knife, a knife fight. Man, he went all thug, you know, in Leipzig, right? So Bach, who knew? Who knew, right? Johann Sebastian Bach, right? Not a surprise. So he was irritable. He was moody. He could be super critical. He often fired and hired people based on their abilities, not necessarily their good-hearted efforts. And his reasoning was, this is to be done to the glory of God. And, and if it was particularly out of laziness, he was super critical. You didn't work hard enough. So there wasn't any room for laziness in the singing of God. So therefore, he fired people all the time and was always hiring other people. However, there was the other side of Bach. And he was a very kind and generous person as well. But just to let you know, you read some people, they will focus on that side of Bach in a lot of their works. And, 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 and there's more to him than being irritable and moody. Just so you know, I, I want you to understand we're all flawed. He's a flawed human being just like we all are. But that was his flaw. He was irritable and moody. So let's turn, let's turn around and look at some positives. Let's take a look at his motivation. Bach's motivation... It's very clear for the glory of God and the learning of his neighbor. Bach ended all of his works with this inscription, Sola Deo Gloria, to God alone be the glory. And he would often begin his works with, for the learning of my neighbor. And so Bach took Jesus' summary of the law, right? Teacher, what does the law teach us? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. This sums up the law and the prophets. Bach took that seriously in music. My neighbor may know Christ and for the glory of God. And so the beginning that my neighbor may learn in sola deo gloria. How awesome is that? Most people, especially devout Christians, here's a quote from... Uh, Marshall here. Most people, especially devout Christians of the 21st century, understand God and they understand glory. But it's hard for us today to understand how a man like Bach could say and mean alone in the credo. Emerging cultures and emerging churches have compartmentalized every aspect of life, including God. Personal fulfillment is the artist's goal in today's world. To box worldview, such a concept was an offense to God. God alone is the source, the content, and the goal of artistic expression. And so Bach composed to the glory of God and that his neighbor may know Christ. How fun is that? He composed for the glory of God and the proclamation of the truth of God to those who needed to know. Bach was a preacher and his sermons were music. In case you wonder whether the media of music can get the message across. He, he was called, often people called him the fifth evangelist. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you know, the four evangelists. People referred to Bach as the fifth evangelist. Because his music, not just in the words, he used the words of Christ. He used the words of Scripture when he wrote chorales, he wrote cantatas. 
but in the structure of the music itself, he was presenting the cross. And in case you wonder whether or not music composed can get the gospel message across, I want you to listen to a critique of Bach from somebody you may have heard of. You ever heard of Friedrich Nietzsche? Famous atheist? Listen to what Nietzsche had to say about Bach's music. In Bach, there is too much crude Christianity. That's coming from an atheist who heard and recognized in the composition of the music. The lyrics are explicit. It's not what Nietzsche's talking about. He's talking about in the composition of the music. There is too much crude Christianity. It's interesting that many, and you read about Bach, they misunderstand Bach. And if you look up online and YouTube and watch some of these, I posted one on, on the interwebs for you to watch. It's like two hours long. People just do Bach because it's, it's Bach, right? Not paying attention to their singing and playing the gospel. The good news of the kingdom. So it's interesting, many un- misunderstand Bach. In his own time, and many do now by missing the clear gospel of the words, but they also miss it in the actual composition of the music. But it's interesting, a notorious atheist and cynic described him perfectly. It was written about Bach. Bach wants to draw us into some sense of enjoying God as God enjoys us. This is Marshall. Into a holy dance. This is shown most clearly in the Mass in B minor, and it's ascending and descending movements. And so these are observations about Bach, that he is wanting to draw you into the enjoyment of God as God enjoys us, this holy dance. What a beautiful statement. What's interesting is, in order to preach during this time period, you had to be licensed clergy. That's all broken, weird stuff. We get that. You know, my hero, George Mueller, came to faith in Christ because they had to gather. They couldn't preach, right? And, and most of the people at his graduate school, he tell you in his biography, were lost. They were only going to school to be a pastor because that's how you made a good living. And so they gathered to read sermons. And people would read them since they couldn't preach without being licensed. They would gather and somebody would read a sermon that was published in the past. And Mueller tells you the story of the night that his heart was strangely warmed. They were reading a sermon. Someone was reading it. And as the, in the reading, hearing we would think so strange, right? We don't want to, A, gather and hear anybody read nothing, right? B much less a sermon, right? And so he's there and they're reading the sermon. He said, my heart was strangely warm and I was transformed. He was saved. And so Bach couldn't preach. He wasn't licensed clergy. But his knowledge of Scripture and his consistent and continual study of theology made him him an apt theologian as he composed music. The result of the Reformation in the reclaiming of the priesthood of the believer, and the scriptures in the heart language of the people, manifested itself in the population's great desire to know scripture, its application to their knowing of God. And this obviously affected Bach. Family time was spent reading scripture, reading theology, and singing about it. And so that's what influenced him, so that everything he wrote was coming out of the Bible, was coming out of theology, and the music was put to it in order to carry it. You'll see that here in just a minute. Well, note I put here, Oh, how time and freedom does erode what others have fought to win for us. I mean, 
the Reformation opened the floodgates of the knowledge of God to the people of God. And for a couple of hundred years, families gathered around the reading of Scripture and theology and memorizing the creeds and sung about it because that's what better is there to do. It's available to us. We see this in our people group now. The Scriptures have been withheld from them, but now that they know Christ, they're devouring it and writing music. But oh, how freedom and distance causes us to be cold to what others have fought and won for us that was Bach's desire know how it would be ours according to Marshall he was one of the most equipped and effective preachers of his age and he preached through music here's a quote here about Bach is this not the blueprint for any Christian willing to forsake worldly acclaim remember he got paid in fish This modest servant of his Savior thanked God for the talents with which he was mightily blessed and used them for the propagation of the gospel, the souls of his fellow man, and the glory of God. Bach believed musical positions were founded by King David. This is a cool fact. I've got this italicized for you and underlined. He believed musical positions were founded by King David and that the Lord was present in the reverent playing of music and thus music was integral in the worship service. Again, we often have a tendency to view music as sort of a bridge to get us to preaching or something that we use to kind of have just something to do after we're finished preaching. And what I want you to begin to see from Bach here is music isn't a bridge to get you to the things you are most here for. Music is a founded reality in the nature and character of God. And I agree with Bach that David in the Old Testament founded the position of leading music. It's a Levitical role. One of the things, one of the things uh, um, Leafblad did for us, and I viewed it as busy work until I got to the end of it, was he just had in his study guide listed every Old Testament passage where the role of Levitical priest was outlined. And the majority of it, the Levite's job was to play music to God 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So that music is being played in the temple. You didn't go to the temple without hearing the sound of music. And Bach believed that this founding of this musical role is done by King David and that music is integral in the worship of God. Based on 1 Chronicles 25, he believed this work and his position was founded by King David as an office. Bach said that 1 Chronicles 25 was the true foundation for all God-pleasing music. He said of 2 Chronicles 5, 13-14, that at, at a reverent performance of music, God is always at hand with His gracious presence. You want to hear what 2 Chronicles 5, 13-14 says? Thank you. It was the duty. This is Bible. This inspired and errant text. It was the duty of the trumpeters and singers to make themselves heard in unison and praise and thanksgiving to the Lord. Duty. Duty. It's their job. It's not an optional part of the surface. It's the duty of the trumpeters and singers to make themselves heard in unison and praise and thanksgiving to the Lord. And when the song was raised with trumpets and cymbals and other musical instruments and praise to the Lord, and here's what they were to sing along with it, For He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. The house, the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud. 
so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. Bach said that, that's what happens when we gather and we play and we sing to the glory of Christ. That's pretty awesome. This is how Bach viewed the worship service. He, worked, he viewed it through this lens, and it was to be an excellent and skillful use of instruments and of words and of praise to the Lord. Bach was focused and hardworking. This cat was focused. And I'm going to blow your mind with some stats here. This blows my mind like I'm convicted. During his time at Leipzig, 1723 to 1750, right? He managed 1,500 performances with an average audience of 2,000 people. You ready? That's an average of 55.5 performances per year. 52 weeks in a year. That's more than one performance a week. And we talk performance. I'm not, this isn't a solo act. This is chorales, cantatas. I had to look up what those were. We're talking entire choirs, string sections, horn sections, all playing together. Dude, they did surround sound before we had it in theaters. Like you go to the movie, right? And it sounds like the door shuts behind you because they got speakers set up there. Anybody go to the movies? Thank you, right? They did that before they had speakers. He placed strings in one part of the, the, the building, singers in one part, choirs and all over the place so that as the music passed through, you hear sound was hitting you from every direction in the room. He did that an average of 55.5 times a year. Not 55 times over his 20 some odd years there, his 27 years there. 55.5 times a year. And we're not talking about, again, a single guy. We're talking about putting this stuff together in a massive setting. Most of his 300 cantatas, right, which are presentations of, that involve a choir, that involve instruments accompanying them, were written during this time. Think that through. In 27 years, he wrote an average of 11.1 cantatas a year. Didn't purchase them off the interwebs to teach people how to do it. He wrote them. They were performed, by the way, during worship services. A worship service in the Lutheran church at this time was an average of three to four hours. And where we might go to a Christmas cantata, the cantata was just part of the service. And it was there to bring the audience into the theme of the sermon that would be preached. So if they were, if they were preaching through Matthew, a certain section, Bach would write a cantata for that section of Matthew. And so they would begin to sing that and play that. And often they would use music that was familiar to their ears and would bring together familiar hymns so that they would in their mind begin to sing the song, move their soul into worship, hear the words, then the pastor would preach on it. How cool is that, right? 300 katatas written during that time. He planned that weekly. Weekly. Not at Christmas, not at Easter, not four times a year. Weekly. This is crazy. He composed over 1,800 works. Twelve of them actually survived to this day. He, now th- he lived to be 65 years old. That's an average of 27 compositions a year. 
you think you're stressed. By the way, this is what happens when we work in our domain. This is this to- so many applications here. So many applications. But we still live and breathe the air of naturalism where we think we just exist to fill some function. So I need to go do something that will get me paid. I don't even enjoy it, but just something I can tolerate until I die. And not go to the grave penniless. That's not the world Bach lived in. That's not the world you are to live in. Your job is to subdue creation in every domain of society. Which means when you are wired into what God made you to do, you do this kind of stuff because it makes you happy. This made him happy. It's not like he was composing and God compose again. God, I got to get up on Monday and compose music. No, dude, I get to compose. I get to make stuff up. Yeah. And he went after it, right? This is guys who love to build and do it well. Go, man, I get to build tomorrow. I get to make a house. Right? And they don't get tired of making houses. I get to build stuff. Man, I get to put stuff because I'm good at it. Subdue it. That's what God made you to do. That's how Bach view life. Right? And so it, this just happens to be the domain of music. And he subdued it, man. Why? Because it was a joy. It was a great joy. Just not to the application section yet. College students, quit getting degrees that just get you through. Quit going to schools that you think is just going to get you something that might find what you're made to do and do it at the cheapest possible location you can do it in. Do you understand that there are guys that graduate from Harvard, don't have jobs? It's not where you go to school. It's how good you are at subduing your domain. I promise you employers aren't looking at where you got your degree. They're working how much job experience do you have and are you good at what you do? Because there are Harvard graduates that stink at subduing creation. Okay? Does that make sense? Find what you love doing for the glory of Jesus and pour your life out to do it. And then everybody's like, well, how am I supposed to? What am I going to do? Figure it out. Bog lived on fish. Suck it up. You'll be all right. You ain't going to die. Worst case scenario, you get on welfare and go get some food. You'll be all right. You're not going to die. Go subdue creation to the glory of Jesus. And so that's why he did this, right? That's why he produced all this stuff. Is because he was subduing his domain and he was made to subdue. He did it to the glory of Jesus and that his neighbor might know Christ. That's enough to walk out of here and go, I learned something today. Right? So, Bach. Bach was a spiritual giant and he was a family man. You think, well, geez, how did he do all this stuff and love his family? Well, that's what he was known for. Love Jesus, love his family. As a consequence of the Reformation, Bach was, along with others, a Bible reader. And a strong emphasis was given on knowing Scripture and communing with the Lord Jesus. So he made sure he didn't just compose. He made sure he spent time with the Lord. He read his Bible. He was an avid Bible reader. I'm totally convinced the logic of the, king, the, logic of the kingdom. Remember, Jesus, Jesus thinks right. We think backward. So we read the Bible and like, Jesus, the kingdom is backward. No, no, no. The kingdom is forward. The world is broken and backward. Right? Last is first. First is last. Right? The world says, no, no. First is first. Last is last. Right? Right? Second place is first loser, right? That's not how it works in the kingdom, right? 
So we look, how do I have time? How am I going to subdue created order if I'm spending 20, 30 minutes a day reading my Bible? Can Jesus make the sun stand still? Can he feed Elijah with ravens? Can he? You believe that? Or is that, nah, that's just trash. We don't believe that anymore, right? Yeah, we believe that, right? So how about just selling out, going, Jesus, you're first. And so whatever I got to do to make sure you're first, could it be that Jesus gives us strength through the day if we actually got up early? I don't, I don't do early. Well, whatever, do late. You think Jesus can make up that difference? Maybe, just maybe, perhaps, right? He was an avid Bible reader, spent time in the Scriptures, spent time studying theology, read Luther, because they're Lutherans, right? Read Luther a lot. His workload never hindered his time from his family. He had 20 children. Seven by his first wife. She died. He married again. She gave him 13. 20 children. And check this out. He spent time with each of them alone. Was proud of his children. And he mentored them in what they were good at. And obviously many of them were good at music. Many of Bach's children would go on to become composers as well. The music gift was thick in Bach's clan. Which, this is totally side note here, but so much of what we do habitually, we're going to pass on to our kids. And for many of us, we've already set the tone. Right? Bach did music and he did theology. And his kids did music and they did theology. And it makes me wonder, what am I passing on? What am I passing on? Creativity through constraint. The seasons of Bach's life when he was most creative was not when he was free. When he was hired on those courts to do whatever the heck he wanted to do, compose whatever the heck he wanted to do, he was less productive than when he was working at three churches, and serve, I mean four churches in multiple schools, constrained to the job of composition and teaching. So the lesson here, productivity through focus, right? Not multitasking. Multitasking is a lie. Don't work on your weaknesses. Do what you do. Do it better than anybody else to the glory of Jesus Christ. Productivity will happen as we focus, not as we get broad. The gospel and word and composition. I am so needing to speed up. Bach was from the Baroque period. It's very vaguest sense. It means elaborate ornamentation. Um... Bach came along in a period of time when things began to shift and change to what he called light and airy music. And they began to bait already in the church the use of the Baroque style of music versus what he called light and airy. They had their worship wars. Traditional, contemporary, which one? I like mine, you like yours. They've been doing, by the way, that's been happening forever. That's not new to us. And so Bach favored the, 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 the heavy is not the right word. It's, yeah, they, thank you, this, that, versus the light and airy. So we're not unique to history. He used what's called the Trinity of Seas. Counterpoint, some of you guys know what this is. I'm talking above my head here. Just know, just know. Counterpoint, cantata, chorale. Who knows what those are? <laughs> All right, four of us. Very good. I had to learn. Counterpoints, the bass is the foundation, and other parts of the music is constructed on, on the bass line. And historically, I found this is pretty cool. Culturally, an art form that's built on counterpoint for us, anybody know what it is? Southern gospel music. 
built on counterpoint. I didn't know that. So I, I should probably start listening to the Gaithers. I didn't know. Who knew? Who knew? Right? Cantata literally means sung. It's a vocal composition with instruments accompanying it in several movements, often, often involving a choir. Chorale, right? Musical uh, composition consisting of or resembling a harmonized version of simple stately hymn intended to get the audience in the thematic page of the sermon of the day. All three of those were used in a worship service. Bach composed most of his music based on the four seasons of the church calendar, Advent, Lent, Feast of Ascension, and Trinity Sunday, moving for the next six months all the way back up to Advent. So he built music based on those seasons of the church. In a relatively short period of time, Bach composed five complete cycles of cantatas for the church year with about six cantatas in each, making the repertory roughly 300 sacred cantatas. Crazy. St. Matthew's Passion is a great example. And I'm going to use, this is all online for you to read. Cindy helped me, she, she did this. I copied and pasted her work right here. I footnoted her. She's footnoted clearly. I put a link. She gave me the link. You can go watch this online. I encourage you to do it. I want you to watch for some interesting things here. And this is just in the music. It's not the, the overt words, the music itself. Elements that he uses, particularly five of them, the halo effect. The string instruments this is me speaking, highlight Jesus' words. So when Jesus is speaking, the string instruments are playing and they serve the halo effect. In other words, they sort of highlight Jesus' words. Here's my illustration. When I'm reading something that I want to remember in a book, I'll underline it with pencil. I don't use highlighter because that ruins pages. And I'm a nerd about that stuff. But you may use a highlighter. And what do you do? You, you run over that sentence with a highlighter. You underline it with a pencil. What does it do? It makes that sentence stand out. The string instruments, halo, highlight Jesus' words. So that the instrumentation was there to help you pay attention to what Jesus is saying. The sighing motif. The soprano is emphasized in the first note of each pattern of two. And when the notes descend, it creates a grieving and a sighing effect. So that we will empathize with what's happening in the language. The startling effect. When the juxtaposing choirs begin singing out periodically, leave him with urgency. You, you hear it from back over here and it makes you jump. It kind of keeps you on the edge of your seat, right? The onomatopoeic, I think I said that right, and I put in parentheses the imitative effect, right? This is when they begin to imitate what's happening in the text of Matthew, like the tearing of the veil in the temple is imitated with various string strokes on the string instruments, right? And the congregational response, right? Bach didn't intend for his music to just be heard. You were to participate in it. There were times for you to respond, right? And so his music was there to draw us into the narrative and bring us into the experience of the worship of God. Bach's music as ministry to the soul. This is from Marshall. Bach mastered another technique and anticipated psychology, the subliminal message. Bach composed subliminally. You remember watch Saturday Night Live? Remember Mr. Subliminal? This is where I'm at, right? It's like SNL, yeah, right. Remember Mr. Subliminal? Some of you guys have no clue what you're talking about, right? And so, for instance, he would be saying like, you don't know what I'm talking about, dummy. And, and then move on and say something underneath Mr. Subliminal. Well, he mastered the art of the subliminal. Did this stuff on purpose. And he used music to do it like no one before or since. Used musical keys, notes and themes, motifs, cadences, rhythms and instruments and voices and ornamentation as tools to create moods, suggest messages and plant ideas in the listeners' minds. 
gospel messages. For the knowledge of my neighbor to know Jesus and the glory of God. Music was a sermon that was prepared musically before the actual sermon was brought verbally. Marshall quotes a guy named Michael Tork is saying, Why waste money on psychotherapy when you can listen to the B minor mass? Yeah. God, there's so much. I'm going to draw some applications and we're done. Application number one. Seek the glory of God in the subduing of your created domain to as much detail as you can muster as an expert in that field. Listen, guys, many of us are never going to subdue the domain of music. That's never going to happen with me. It's just not going to happen. But whatever domain God has created you to be in, subdue it with as much detail as you can muster. I mean, it's very clear from the very short amount I've given you. Bach worked in great detail that people would know Jesus and that God would be glorified. Down to the notes that were used and how string instruments would highlight the words of Jesus. If you build stuff, think about how you can build to the glory of Jesus in the details of what you do. Right? Seek the glory of God in the subduing of your created domain. By the way, the implications on education with this is huge, y'all. We have to begin to think in education from kindergarten all the way through college, engaging domains of society. See, Christian education, and don't hear private school, don't hear homeschool, don't hear, don't hear that. I mean, education is God's. You understand that? Epistemology, knowing. If you're like, I don't know what you just said, a big word. The knowing is God's. Okay? Because God's the source of knowing. You understand that? Christian applied, Christian just worldview applied to education. You need to understand that we have to begin to think about how do we subdue creation? What are the domains of society that need to be subdued? How do we bring it under the rule of Ephesians 1, 7 to 10, right? How do we bring that under the rule of Christ? This is the great dilemma in education is what is my function in society? How do I bring it under the rule of Christ, make disciples, and see the kingdom of God advance to all nations through my domain? It's possible because Jesus gave us the call. Go disciple the nations, right? How do you do that? Fill domains of society and make disciples in them. Right? Box was music. He did it in great detail. What's yours? Give your life to the detailed disciple making in every domain. And if your school's not helping you do that, change schools. Application number two. Make it your aim to so master your craft in the finer details so that people recognize your skill as a God-given skill and your praise to God as one and the same. Be good at what you do, so good that when people watch you work, they see the skill and give praise to God for what He has done in you. Master your craft. Don't be lazy at it. Master it. Work hard at it. It's an image of God issue. And the knowledge of Jesus Christ, your neighbor, and worship of Jesus Christ is at stake. So whatever you do, master it in the finer details. Application number three. Put some thought... Into not only doing your work, but doing it in a way that it says something about the king and your desire to follow and imitate him. Ephesians 5.1, right? Be imitators of God as dearly beloved children. Put some thought into what you do. 
Now listen, you're going to walk away here and you want me to be Bach. No. Bach put thought into everything he composed. Whatever it is you do, put some thought into structuring it in a fashion that the structure of what you do says something about who it is you follow. That's called creativity. Every one of us are creative because we're made the image of the Creator God, right? Certain of us have certain have more of it. Some of us have less of it, but put some thought into it. Little sub point: Let the kingdom and the kingdom's values drive what you do. Search the scriptures. What does God value? Let that drive my behavior. Second. Let Scripture dictate how you do what you do. We call it the manual on purpose. It tells us not only what to do, but how to do it. Third, use some creativity in crafting your day and your production so that it's beautiful. And that it, the work, and the production itself proclaims the truth. Example, anybody notice something I've done through the structure of this talk? I I, I pulled one on you. I did things in threes. You know why I did them in threes? Yeah, thank you. I mean, I just, I mean about, that's about as high as I get in the creative realm, right? But I did them in threes. I structured some points in threes, so then the speaking of threes, there's order in the structure. Now, for some of you guys who do stuff cooler than what I do, structure your day in a way that says something about the nature and character of God. It could be cooler than threes. That was just easy. God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Yeah, I can do that, right? But other cool things, structure them in that way. Do what you do beautifully. I, w- I went to high school with a guy. Back in my day, we had to do shop class. And you, you work wood and metal, right? I worked with a guy in shop class. He's still in this town. And already in high school, this guy, I love welding. And I'm not an educated welder. But this guy, even in high school, welded beautifully. Even, even welds that aren't visible. Like, if you weld stuff, if you're a construction guy, there are things you do that just aren't going to be seen with the eye because they're covered up. What I really appreciate about craftsmen is when the things that are covered up are done beautifully. This guy welded things you would never see, but he did his weld beautifully. And you know what? That screams the glory of God. Do what you do beautifully. Even if nobody ever sees it, because your audience, Jesus Christ, does see it. And he receives it as praise. Another application. We're about done. Here we go. Engage in music by listening to the music and the words together. Sing the words by all means, but receive the intent of the music to your soul. Listening to and participating in music as a spiritual exercise. I told Adam last week I heard music differently. Not because my sound, my, my hearing of music is better. Because I realized the intent of music and I listened to it differently. Try closing your eyes. I'm going to do something else in three right here. Right? This is good. I like it. I'm smart. Try closing your eyes and listening to the flow of the music during the Lord's Supper each week. Pay attention to the singing of God and the music. Fully engage your mind and your soul and your body in music and the words when we worship the Father, Son, and the Spirit together. Third, finally, Make a habit of listening to all kinds of music and quality music 
composed to the glory of God, whether they realize it or not, find some quality music and listen to it. And I think one of the things that has lagged behind the curve is sometimes Christian music has a tendency to be imitative and it lacks quality as opposed to on the tip of the spear and being the best. Listen to good music. Pick your favorite, but listen to it. Pay attention to it. And as Christians who can compose, let's do stuff excellently. Why? Because the knowledge of Christ our neighbor and the glory of Jesus Christ is at stake. Bach. And there's so much more to know. So I hope you'll go and read some more on his life. And I hope that today you've carried something away. And you know what we're going to do now? We're going to worship. Remember what we learned. What we learned. This isn't just a space filler. The very music itself is the singing of God. And the words are an opportunity for us to reflect back to the Lord glory. We're not a three-hour worship service. There's no chorales and cantatas taking place. However, there is music played to the glory of God, an opportunity for you to engage. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. It's for the glory of Jesus and the knowledge of Jesus Christ your name.